Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to talk about the 10 best enduro mountain bikes for 2016. This was a list that we put together a few weeks ago and published on the website, but we thought we would talk a little bit more in depth about some of the bikes, including some of our experiences testing those bikes. But I wanted to start off by asking Aaron a question. So we <laughs> we, we called this this article the, the top 10 or the 10 best enduro mountain bikes, but Aaron, you don't think that that's an appropriate term, right? There's no such thing as an enduro bike. Have I heard you say that before? You've probably heard me say that before. I think Greg's probably heard it before too. <laughs> you know, to me, it's a, enduro is a race format more than a type of bike. And I know you have XC bikes and there's XC races, but to me, these kind of bikes already existed before the rise of enduro. So it's really just a rebranding and it's just one of my trigger words, kind of like gravel grinder, you know, it's not a gravel grinder. It's just a, it's just, it is a good name. <laughs> it's just a road bike with extra clearance, you know, and these are, you know, these have existed for years, you know, like the, the long travel slacker trail bikes have, have been around for a while. So it's nothing new. It's just, They've, uh, I don't know, maybe garnered more attention with the new uh, Enduro moniker on them. Yeah, I'm with you there. So what what would be a more appropriate term for these bikes? What's some else that maybe people would call these? I think probably the older term all-mountain is still really uh, applicable to these. Because, I mean, that's what they are, right? They're, you can ride all over the mountain on these things. You don't have to, you know, like a cross-country bike, you're not staying at the base of the mountain you know, you're going up and over and down and whatever you're going to encounter on your ride, these are the kind of bikes that can handle it, you know, no matter, no matter if there's big drops or rolls or chunky or whatever, you know, these, these bikes are, I think as Greg said in the article, they're really kind of the pinnacle of, of trail bikes. You know, they're reasonable weights, they pedal reasonably efficiently, but you can also tear ass downhill on them. So yeah, they're just, kind of really cool swiss army knife kind of bikes swiss army knife bike i like that i just like saying enduro because it's shorter than all mountain right (laughs) all mountain so awkward all mountain with a hyphen greg's trying to save some time he's gonna bank all those milliseconds from not saying all mountain (laughs) it's just really awkward all like four minutes on the end of his life do four minutes if i could make four minutes off of that i'm all about it (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it is true though that a lot of consumers do use that term. They see that term and they understand it. So most people know at least what you're talking about, even though maybe it's not technically correct. Yeah, I would argue that maybe most people don't understand it because uh, <laughs> I'll also hear people say like, oh, I'm going to go on an enduro ride. I'm like, no, you didn't. You just went on a mountain bike ride. An enduro is a race format. Like you just go on a mountain bike ride unless someone's out there timing you and you you know, put a number on the front of your bike. You didn't go on an enduro ride. You went on a, a ride. Anyway, that's my rant. Okay. I did actually like have a, a tour company ask me if I wanted to do more cross country style riding or enduro style riding when I visited. So I was like, huh. I was like, I guess enduro. You know? right. <laughs> like, You're like enduro. It's way shorter than cross country. Obviously <laughs> I don't want to be typing cross country during my whole ride up. Dude, that's why trail bikes because cross-country, too long. Uh, Exactly. And kind of maybe just to define a little bit more what these bikes are, they're all 
pretty much in the 150 mil to 170 millimeter travel range. You know, full suspension, obviously. They tend to be long, low, slack. Uh, so slack head tube angles. Uh, and, uh, you know, they can come with 27.5 or 29 inch wheels, although, you know, the majority of them are going to be 27.5s these days. But that's kind of like the general classification that that sets these all mountain or enduro bikes apart from, you know, a trail bike, for instance. Yeah. One other thing to mention is lots of them are going to have very similar like component setups. There's a little bit of variance, you know, from bike to bike, but for instance, like all these bikes that we're talking about are going to have like a dropper post on them. They're almost all the same dropper posts too, but, uh, you know, they're all going to have like pretty bigger forks, you know, bigger stanchions on the forks than, uh, than a trailer cross country bike. You're also going to see a lot of single ring drive trains to, well, you know, I guess you've seen that across the board, but I think enduro bikes, honestly, we're pushing that a little bit more than uh, other bikes initially. So you also have wider wheels in general, um, even within a regular non plus size. So, you know, just some of these like burlier components sort of help define the range a little bit as well. Okay. Great overview. So for our list, we didn't order these by, you know, best to worst or anything like that. These are just in alphabetical order. So we're going to start off the top of the list, number one, with the Cannondale Jekyll. And by my reckoning, this is the most expensive bike in terms of the cheapest, you know, entry level build that you can get on it. And it comes in around 6,200 bucks. What do you guys know about the Cannondale Jekyll? Well, the Jekyll and all Cannondales are, you know, sort of set apart by the fact that they can come with a lefty stock, which is, it's not a fork, it's a suspension strut. It's just one side. If you've not seen a lefty before, Google it and check it out. It is interesting looking. Um, you can do the Jekyll with a regular fork, but the lefty definitely is Cannondale's thing and sets them apart. I've not ridden the Jekyll, I want to, but I've ridden the the trigger, which is essentially the Jekyll light. Like It's the same fork, just with the suspension dialed down 20 millimeters um, it's like the exact same structure just less travel um, it has the same rear shock so the trigger is very similar to the jackal and uh it honestly like people like to hate on the lefty but i could i rode it a lot i rode it in the crested butte ultra enduro um among other things that's like five days of enduro racing including downhill racing and man it was solid so you know it might look weird but Cannondale's made it work for them for sure. The other interesting thing about the Jekyll to me is the dyad rear shock. And uh, this can be difficult to explain because it's basically, as far as I know, there's nothing else like it on the market, but it's a partnership between Fox and Cannondale. And essentially, it's two shocks in one. You know, lots of shocks you can dial down or dial up the compression. I always get the direction wrong. But anyhow, you can change the compression so it makes the shock stiffer in the middle and then eventually locks out. So lots of times you'll have full open trail mode, which is sort of in the middle, and then climb, which is like almost locked out or all the way locked out. With the dyad, you actually have a handlebar lever, and when you hit it, you change shock cylinders completely. And each shock cylinder, like each shock in this pair of shocks has both high speed or high end and low end air pressure. So you have four different air pressure chambers to adjust when you're doing initial setup, which makes it very difficult and complicated to set up. But the here's the upshot. On the trail, you hit the lever on your bar and on this bike, 
like you go from all the travel, which is like 160 down to 95, but still fully active travel in either of those modes. So it's not like dialed down activity. It's just more active, the same amount of activity, just in a lower package. So basically go from Enduro to cross country. Sorry, that's pretty long, but it's kind of complicated, but it's pretty interesting and unique to this bike. Yeah, I mean, Cannondale's kind of known for their proprietary parts, you know, like you said, with the lefty and, you know, with the the pull shock, which is, it operates the reverse of how you would think a normal shock operates. But that also means that, you know, it's kind of limits you to certain things, you know, you, you can't find another shock, you know, you can't swap out something else if you don't like that shock or anything happens to it, you're stuck with the, with the dyad shock. But I will say it looks like Cannondale may be moving away from this because I, I saw a, like a spy photo of Jerome Clements earlier this year um, at an enduro race, and he was on a prototype Jekyll, but it was a carbon frame, which means it's pretty far along. You know, They don't make a prototype out of carbon until it's getting pretty close to production, and it had a, a traditional shock on it. So a little bit, the bike looked similar, but the shock was in a little bit different position. So it looks like they may be moving away from the the pull shock going forward. Was he still running the lefty in the uh, in the spy shot, or was he doing a regular fork? I believe he was running a regular fork because he's sponsored by RockShox, so I think he runs a Pike. Okay. And also, I went through, told the guys already, but uh, I went through the whole list and to see which ones have water bottle mounts inside the front triangle and which ones don't because. I care about that because I get thirsty when I ride. Who knew? <laughs> and the Jekyll does not have a water bottle mount inside the front triangle. What? It looks like it's got room, though, in our photo at least. Well, here's the question. Maybe this is a spoiler, but do any of them have room for two water bottles? No. Do any full suspension bikes do that? Yeah. I don't know if any full suspension bikes like have two stock mounts. Or if they do, it's pretty dang rare. Yeah, mine has it on the bottom side of the oh yeah tube. some of them have them on the down tube as well but yeah that counts that counts for me <laughs> yeah. only if you want giardia <laughs> yeah that's something nasty okay moving on to number two on our list we have the canyon strive cf and i believe the cf stands for carbon fiber this is actually the most affordable bike on this list at about four thousand dollars for the cheapest build it's also interesting to note that Canyon, along with one of the other bike brands on our list, is available direct to consumers. So you can order these bikes online, not in the U.S. yet, but coming soon. So what do you guys know about the Canyon? So I've ridden, again, a shorter travel version of this bike. I have not ridden this one yet. But what's super interesting to me about this bike is that it has adjustable geometry on the go. And they call it shapeshifter technology. And it's sort of similar to what's going on in the uh, the Jekyll, but not exactly. Basically, like with this one, you hit a handlebar lever and it changes the amount of travel front and rear. But it also changes the uh, head tube angle and the, the bike geometry. And I assume that happens by dialing down the front travel. But again, I haven't ridden this bike to check it out yet. But the shapeshifter technology is definitely unique in you just hit the one lever and it just does everything on the bike all at the same time, which is uh, pretty neat. Again, I've ridden a shorter travel version of this bike, again, a 140, and it was a fantastic rig, so I'd like to ride this one. One little aside that I do want to throw in there, in the comments for the article, one of our regular commenters, Mong Wolf, asked me like, what I want to see 
happening in more enduro bikes as they go forward as they continue to change. And that was something I hadn't really thought about. But after he asked, I you know, was thinking, and the one thing I would love to see is more just adjustability of these bikes. So you see this in the Canyon with like the shapeshifter technology and in the Cannondale and all the, all the bikes on our list, they're the two that have sort of the most on the fly adjustment. I just love seeing these things where you, you can change the performance characteristics of the bike as you go along, um, depending on what you're doing. A basic example of this is a uh, adjustable travel forks. Um, I have one of those on my bike and that's something you can put on just about any bike, but actually you know, it's pretty simple. It's not as complex as what the Canyon and the Cannondale have going on, but with adjustable travel fork, you can dial down the travel, which essentially steepens your head tube angle. It makes your bike handle better for climbing. Um, and then you can open it all the way back up, lengthen the fork out and you're slacker. But I think if we could see more of these like on the fly adjustments, they're only going to make these bikes more and more versatile as time goes on. You know, they're already some of the most versatile bikes because they're light and they are have a lot of travel that can handle a lot of stuff you know but more versatility i think would be even cooler and it does have a water bottle mount boom sold Cha-ching. yeah canon canyon's whole deal is uh you know they do the consumer direct model like like jeff said so they are really able to offer some pretty exceptional value i mean if you look at you know what you're getting for the money you're getting you know top drawer suspension you know, in, in the fork and the shock and you're, you're getting, you know, almost the best drive trains and everything for a lot less money than you're going to see from, you know, the, the big three brands. Moving on to number three, the giant rain advanced and the, the rain has actually been around in giants lineup for a while now. Um, but it's definitely one that a lot of enduro riders are picking for their races. What do you guys think about the rain? So I actually rode the giant rain advanced out at Interbike last year, and I've immediately felt comfortable on the bike. It's very similar to my personal bike in terms of geometry. I've a I've got a Kona Process 153, which spoiler alert didn't make the list. <laughs> Probably because it's not carbon. Greg's got a thing for carbon, I guess. Yeah, dude, I didn't. De- well, I didn't even put my bike on there, and it's carbon zero <laughs> bike, but uh. Yeah, there's a lot of good bikes. I think we're going to do a runner. After we get done with the top 10, we should do a runner-up. We'll give you some other bikes that are also excellent. Yeah, anyway, so so I felt comfortable on it right away. It's it's a big bike, though. I mean, make no mistake, this thing is long. It's, it's as long as some other brand's downhill bikes, to give you kind of an idea of the wheelbase on this thing. But even even that, it didn't feel that un, unwieldy. I mean, I did only ride this at Bootleg Canyon, so there wasn't anything super tight out there one thing i will say they should be specking much shorter cranks on this bike i think the bike i had had 175 millimeter cranks on it and um i was smacking a lot of pedals because as we all know bottom brackets keep getting lower and lower and the giant is no exception so i i would you know apart from some shorter crank arms the spec was dialed the fit was really comfortable the suspension was great i'm i'm a fan of the the maestro suspension platform that giant uses so it's a it's a good bike and and you get a water bottle mount inside the front triangle and as far as the you know the big brands go you you tend to get a little bit more for your money with giant maybe not as much as it used to be but it's a maybe a slightly better value cool number four on the list is the ibis mojo hd3 
And according to my calculations, this bike has the least amount of rear travel on our list at 150 millimeters. But Greg, I know for a while this was like your dream bike, right? This is this is the one that you want. Man, it it still could be. Like I've ridden this bike and it is rad. I had just an absolutely awesome time on it. And since I rode this bike, the whole plus size revolution came along and Ibis is sort of I think they did plus size before it was a thing, but they, they've they rolled out plus size rear triangle for this bike. So if you already had a standard Ibis Mojo HG3, you could just buy a rear triangle and turn it into a 27.5 plus Ibis Mojo HD3 without having to buy a whole new bike, which is rad for those dudes. But if you want to go plus right off the bat, you can order fully kitted out plus size HD3, which... That's what I would do. I would be all over that. So that brings up a, a question I have. Are plus bikes becoming more common in the enduro segment? How many of the bikes on our list are plus size or able to be run plus? Do you guys know? Not many. Pretty much just the Ibis, I think. That's when I was gonna ask that same question. I mean, I you know, I've I've ridden a handful of plus size bikes and they're fun, but I, you know, I'm just still not completely sold on the, on the plus wheels. I think maybe, you know, part of that is, you know, a lot of my riding close to home is on tighter trails and I just, the plus wheels, they just aren't, aren't as much fun. But when I've taken, you know, the plus bikes up to, you know, North Georgia or North Carolina, somewhere where you can, you have a little more room to run and gain some speed and some extended descents, I've really enjoyed them there, but I think for kind of day-to-day riding around here, it's you know just not the best fit. And again, you know, if I live somewhere else, that might be a different situation. But I don't think you'll see—I don't want to say ever—but I don't think you'll see many enduro racers at the top of the game using plus-size wheels anytime soon. I just think the the tires aren't quite there yet in terms of you know weight to durability and i think they're you know they're probably gonna have to you know figure out some things with the suspension because one thing that i've found is you know if i run a low pressure on a plus size where i'm getting like the traction benefits then it kind of wreaks havoc with the rear shock because in a in a turn when you're loading up the bike there's going to be a little bit of tire roll and so that creates a momentary delay before the rear shock does anything which just kind of makes for some weird handling traits but i can counteract that by pumping the tires up to 20 or 21 psi but then it's like okay then i'm not getting all these traction benefits of plus tires so then what's the point exactly you know so i don't know we'll we'll see i like i said i I don't i don't want to say never because mountain biking is making advancements so rapidly and things are changing so quickly. So I wouldn't rule it out, but at least for the time being, you're not going to see anybody winning Enduro World Series races on plus wheels. Well, as for what's available on the market, there aren't a ton. Uh, There there are a few plus size Enduro bikes that I wanted to put on this list, but didn't have room for. Um, One of those is the Scott Genius LT Plus, which I've really enjoyed. But as I was looking into it, most of the full suspension plus bikes we see coming out right now are 
more accurately classed in like the trail bike category. So they're more like 130 to 140 millimeters of travel. So I think maybe that answers your question, Jeff, in that a lot of them that we're seeing, they're still full suspension. They're still really capable, but they're not quite to this like enduro bike level. Right. Yeah. Like the, the Ibis is kind of one of the longest travel plus bikes I've seen available that, and I guess the, the Scott's fairly long travel as well. You know, the, all the stats on the Scott could have put it on this list and, uh, it's, is a great enduro bike. It's a 160 mil travel and long slack again, all, the whole nine yards, but, uh, not enough room for all the bikes. <laughs> and the Ibis has a water bottle mount. Sweet. Number five, the intense tracer 27.5 C. Aaron, I think you rode this one at Interbike last year, right? I rode the Carbine or Carbine, however you want to say it, the 29er. It's basically the 29er version of this bike, which I was very impressed with. But yeah, very very similar specs and stats and geo to the to the Tracer, just bigger wheels. And like I said, I really really enjoyed that bike, even uh, even when I went OTB and cheese graded up my forearm. I have ridden this exact bike and I would have to agree with Aaron like that. It is pretty fantastic. I had an absolutely awesome time on it. Thought it was one of the most best. I thought it was one of the best pedaling like enduro bikes I've ridden um, in a long time. It, it climbed just amazing. I was just super stoked on it. Going back to like the adjustment, there is a different, like two different shock mounting points that adjust the steepness of the head tube angle and like the bike geometry slightly. One's like more climbing oriented, one's more descending oriented. And that has, that adjustment has nothing to do with plus tires. It's just a, a geo adjustment. So there is a little bit of that available on this bike, but it's not like on the fly adjustment. It's like in your bike shop adjustment. Any way you slice it, this is a pretty dope enduro bike. Yeah, and it's got a it's it's not quite as like long and slack as some of the other bikes on this list. The reach is a little bit shorter, so you know, if you don't have really long arms or if you just prefer, you know, kind of a tighter cockpit, the the intense tracer could be a good option. And it does have a water bottle mount, although it's kind of tight. I think if you were using a piggyback uh style shock, you'd have a hard time fitting a, a large water bottle in there. Yeah, if you look at the photo in the article I ride like a size medium normally and it's got a piggyback shock and there's cables running through there. I don't think there's a water ball in that one, but maybe on a size large, it'd be better. Good to know. Number six, the pivot Mach six. And this is actually, I think it's the only bike on this list that I've ridden. Um, and that was a couple of years ago, but I really love this bike and I'm not the type of rider that does a lot of enduro style riding. You don't go for enduro rides, Jeff? I don't. I'm more on the, the trail end of the spectrum. But, yeah, I really enjoyed this bike, and it climbed well, um, which I'm I'm pretty picky about how bikes climb. Like, I notice right away if if it's not up to my standards. Um, but this one was. It was, it was really climbed well and then obviously descended excellently. Have you guys ridden the Mach 6? Yeah, I've ridden a couple of them. I've ridden the carbon version as well as the uh, newer aluminum model that they came out with um, and kind of updated the geometry on as well. I would definitely agree with you, Jeff. I think I think I would I would classify this as a sporty feeling bike, which is probably you know why why you liked it. I mean, even though it is you know a, a longer travel trail bike, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily ride like it has as much travel as it does and. 
you know, I've also found that, you know, Pivot uses the DW Link suspension platform and it is a really, really efficient climbing um, platform. And I just recently wrapped up a review on the Pivot Mach 429 Trail, which is kind of like the 29er brother to this, uh, to the Mach 6. And it, I mean, yeah, it just, for gravel roads, it can fly up those, but it also can be very active if you're climbing up something technical. So I'm a I'm a big fan of the uh, the DW Link platform as well. Yeah, I've ridden the aluminum version of this bike, and one interesting tidbit that I didn't get to write about because I forgot to review this bike on the site. But we've got carbon reviews up there. But the aluminum bike is actually stiffer than the carbon bike. So if you want absolute max stiffness go for the aluminum but it's almost i don't know if it's too stiff but it is stiff so yeah i thought it was a very interesting little tidbit because normally that's not how things shake out but no water bottle mount so we we are joking a bit about the bottle mounts but uh yeah (laughs) i'm not i need to drink man well yeah dude in an (laughs) enduro race people aren't wearing camelbacks are they they're wearing an enduro pack. Yeah, yeah, they don't wear camel packs. They wear enduro packs. Come on, Jeff. Do they have water in their enduro pack? Yeah, it's like a. It's sort of like a one of those like the old school running ones before they figured out that they sucked. Um, <laughs> that uh, you can stick like the full blown water bottle in it. Oh yeah. Um, or you gotta have like your what it specializes calling it their SWAT kit where you can stick like a bottle like in your chamois like. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm well. It's not like in your chamois. You're making it sound a little gross there. It, it like goes like in your back. There's there's like a, a space for it back there. I've got a bib from Pearl Azumi that it's actually got pockets for some snacks and tools as well. So number seven on the list, the Santa Cruz Nomad Carbon. This one seems to have the most rear travel of all the bikes on our list at 165 millimeters. And this is a relatively new bike, isn't it? Or it's recently been updated? No. Sorry. <laughs> it's been well, around for a while, but yeah, it was uh, updated a couple of years ago. It hasn't received an update with the latest round of Santa Cruz's because, you know, it kind of came out after the Bronson and they actually took some things. They actually made it a better, better bike from the get go. So it'll probably be another year or two before you see the Nomad um, updated. And the Nomad is a it's a big bad bike. Like you said, it's got 165 millimeters of rear travel. You can think you can run up to 180 mil fork on it or something like that. That is true. But it's it's uh what's kind of interesting to note is most of Santa Cruz's enduro racers don't actually race on the Nomad. It's too much bike. So they tend to prefer the Bronson, which is a little bit shorter travel, but since they updated it, they kind of did push it so it was you know getting close to stepping on the toes of the the nomad but i guess it also goes to show how capable the bronson is i've got several friends that have this exact bike and they all love it even if it is overkill because you can build this thing up at you know sub 30 pounds without trying too hard and you've got a a mini park bike that you can pedal around all day so kind of hard to beat that if you're you know you just want one bike kind of quiver or you know if if you're gonna have one bike for a long long time it's worth investing in something like that and there is a bottle mount that's surprising with the way the shock is set up but impressive numero ocho the specialized enduro carbon and this bike 
is clearly an enduro bike because that's the name of it. What, you, <laughs> what, what else do you guys know about the enduro? Well, so maybe Aaron, you can shed some light on this, but like the enduro has been around for like since before enduro racing was a thing. Like the the specialized enduro was like a twenty sixer bike way back in the day. They don't even have that one anymore. And that's the uh, the only enduro I think I rode was like a twenty sixer many years ago. So it's been in the lineup for quite some time, and now it's available in twenty seven five and twenty nine inch wheeled versions. But yeah, do you know some of the history of that, Aaron? Not really. It has been. I mean, it's been around for probably I don't know, close to fifteen years. Yeah, something like that. And it, it's always kind of been their their longest travel trail bike, and they've done some, you know, they've done all kinds of weird, funky stuff with it over the years. And I think one year they had like a dual crown fork on it. Oh, I've seen that one running around a lot. Yeah, that's a unicorn, man. That thing, that thing was around <laughs> for one year, and then they were like, "Oh shit, that was a terrible idea. What were we doing?" <laughs> but the yeah, the Enduro Twenty Nine er was kind of one of the first long travel. 29ers to get it right you know it didn't suck it didn't have like this really long chain stays you know it wasn't unwieldy it was kind of the bike that proved to a lot of people and 29er haters in particular i guess that uh yeah you can make a long travel 29er with short chain stays you know with uh you know with aggressive modern geometry and it doesn't suck to ride so it's a really cool bike and it's cool to see that they're still they're still offering it in a in a 29er and it does have a bottle mount so another uh check for that one yeah we're like seven for eight or something on that or uh we're not doing that well almost yeah yeah i think we are seven for eight so uh no six for eight the pivot didn't have one either okay for those keeping tabs at home stand corrected Number nine, the Yeti SB6C. What do you guys know about the Yeti? So, Jeff, you're asking me if the, the HD3 was my, like, want it, got to have it bike, and I love that one, but the Yeti SB6C is also right in that category. It is just a fantastic mountain bike. I've ridden it and had just a ball of a time on it. I've ridden also the the 5 and the 4.5C. I haven't done the 5.5C yet, but the the 6 is was just incredible. No bad things to say about it, except maybe it doesn't have a bottle mount. I don't know. No bottle mount. <laughs> See, I didn't have an issue with it, but uh, yeah, it's 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 light. It's capable. The Switch Infinity thingy-mabob looks really cool and seems to work, and it was just all-around excellent bike. Greg doesn't get thirsty when he rides. It's weird. <laughs> I just put stuff in my uh, in my jersey pockets, and I'm good. Although you can't put a frame bag in there then, so that's one my one grab. I'm a frame bag fan now. So the Yetis are definitely like you know if you want to go by like race wins, they're probably the winningest bike on the Enduro World Series right now. You know, until this year you had Jared Graves on the team. Now he's with Specialized, and but you have Richie Rude, who's just been like just dominating things the past two seasons. So. It's definitely one of the one of the most uh, one, what, do you, what do you say? Palmares has the most Palmares, most decorated, maybe that one. Most decorated, something like that. I'm probably probably saying it wrong, but I will say it's kind of uh, it's probably one of the most expensive bikes. I mean, even even in this class, you know, looking at a frame only, I think it's what is it like thirty five or thirty eight hundred bucks for just a frame. So yeah, it's a kind of a a, a premium on top of the premium. And finally, number 10, 
We have the YT Industries Capra CF. Again, CF meaning carbon fiber. That's about all I know about this bike. What do you guys know? I want to ride this one. That's what I know. I actually saw one of these on the back of a, a vehicle in Salida, and they're not like it's so YT is initially like a European company and they're direct to consumer. They're now in the US as well as of like last year, the year before, but it's not like the specialized of the world where they're all over the place. So seeing one of these on the back of a truck, I was like, hey, there, there's, there's a Capra, you know, but everything I've read and seen, like this bike looks awesome. And we've seen, you know, Aaron Gwynn signed on as a, you know, obviously downhill for YT, but he's filmed some spots and segments on the Capra and just absolutely slayed on this thing. So yeah, I want to ride one. Yeah, me too. It's a it's a cool looking bike. You know, it definitely looks a lot different than any of the other bikes on the market. If you're if you know if you want something that is visually distinct, the Capra is definitely up there. No water bottle mount, unfortunately. And again, with as with all the other direct to consumer brands, you do get you get a lot of bike for your money from YT. Can also get this one in aluminum. That's something we haven't really mentioned, but not all the bikes we talked about, but most of these bikes, like we're talking about the cream of the crop, like the best enduro bikes out there. And, and carbon is the best, really. But a lot of them are available in aluminum on this list. So if you want the same bike, but you want to save some money and aren't concerned with an extra pound of frame weight, you can save a lot of cash by going with alloy frame on many of these bikes. So you know, don't let some of these prices we've talked about totally scare you off because there are more, afford- more affordable ways to go out there. That's a great tip. Can we also talk like runner-ups? Like there, there are a lot of great enduro bikes out on the market today and uh, we had a lot of debate figuring out which ones to put on this list and there are a lot of great ones that we wanted to include but couldn't fit so we discussed some of those and also a lot of comments of people wanting you know us to uh, reinforce their purchasing decisions (laughs) why isn't the exact bike yeah exactly i bought this one it's obviously the best Well, yeah. What what other bikes did we consider for the list, or or which ones do you think are you know worthy for the number eleven spot or the number twelve? Well, obviously, again, personally, I'm biased. Like all those uh, comments we got, but the uh, the Kona Process 153 in particular. So there's you know Kona has the whole Process line. The 153 is the longest travel one that they're currently offering. It's 27.5 wheels, you know, 160 mil of travel. And it was one of the, they were, Kona was one of the first major manufacturers to push, really push geometry to where it's, it's kind of gone now. Um, so they were, I don't know, progressive, I guess, for a big company. You know, there's definitely other smaller manufacturers that were out there doing it before, but Kona was really kind of one of the first to be like, all right, boom, we're making these like crazy long reaches and, you know, we're going to have these dinky stubby little stems and we're slapping big old 780 mil wide bars on these things and yeah I've, I've had mine since I 2014 i guess they haven't really made many changes to it i guess for 2017 they're lengthening them even more which is kind of cool i guess but uh yeah great bike not currently available in in carbon though uh just an aluminum frame but it's been a it's been an awesome bike so kona gets my vote yeah, other great ones include uh, Evil's 
think the Reckoning, um, they've got some great enduro bikes. Turner RFX, um, the Trek Remedy or Slash, um, lots of people like. The uh, Norco's got some, I believe the Range. Who else did we talk about? We talked about Patrol, I believe the Transition Patrol. Yeah. And, uh, you know, GT's got great bikes. Uh, I ride a, a GT Force, and they have an even bigger one now, the GT Sanction, that isn't quite a downhill bike either. But, I mean, basically, like, the story is... If you have a favorite brand, the odds are they offer a pretty good enduro bike. You know whether or not it's the best of the best that that can be debated, but there's a lot of a lot of great ones out there for sure. Oh, we did talk earlier about Scott Genius LT Plus. That's a personal favorite of mine, but it's, I don't know. I like to see it with more than just a single pivot suspension, but that's what it's at right now. So yeah, there there are a lot of great ones out there. It's a good time to be a mountain biker, really. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of these bikes too, they use the same components. So you're gonna, you're seeing the same forks and shocks and wheels and a lot of the same parts on every bike. So yeah, it does make it harder to pick the the best one. Yeah. As always, you should just try to ride as many as you can. Cause I mean, even some of them are using the same suspension platform, you know, like for instance, um, the Intense and the Santa Cruz, they both use the VPP platform, but those bikes, you know, will have similar riding characteristics, but there will be little nuances that, you know, you may end up preferring one over the other. So, and, uh, you know, another, the Horst Link, which was patented by Specialized until recently, the patent just expired. So now you're seeing a lot of companies start doing Horst Link bikes as well. Like Transition is a good example. They, they used to do single pivot and, once the uh, the patent expired, they moved to the horse link. So their their patrol is a horse link bike, and then Norco's bikes are horse link, and obviously specialized bikes are still horse link. So, so yeah, even even the same pedaling or the same suspension platform can differ between brands. So just ride them all like Pokemon, right? <laughs> that is good advice and very timely too. So like Pokemon's hot this week. <laughs> Dude, by the time this podcast comes out, it's not going to be hot anymore. That's right. It'll be on to something else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. This has been a good rundown of that top 10 list of enduro bikes. And if you want to know more, including more in-depth reviews about a lot of these bikes, and even if you want to see how Singletracks members rate these bikes, be sure to check out singletracks.com and just search for the bike you're interested in. That's all we have this week. Talk to you again next week. Peace.